There are two scripture readings this morning. The first is from the book of Genesis, chapter 28. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth, with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear, so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God. Of all, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. The second reading is from the book of Deuteronomy. When you have entered the land the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God has given you, and put them in a basket. Then go and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, We cried out to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, and the Lord heard our voice. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. Then you and the Levites and the foreigners residing among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given to you and your household. We have an annual tradition at LMCC, which is that we take a couple of weeks at the end of the year to talk about financial giving, giving your money back to God, which, to state the obvious, is a pretty loaded Topic. I was listening to an interview recently with Mark Andreessen, the venture capitalist, one of the founders of Silicon Valley, basically. And he was talking about Bitcoin was the subject of the interview, and he was talking about why people get so agitated about it. And his take on it was, he said, after God, money is the most emotional topic we have as human beings. And I think that's true. So what we've done at LMCC is this little social experiment, which is, well, what if we took the two most emotional, two most loaded topics and combined them and talked about them together? And what happens is, is what you would expect would happen, which is that it's explosive. It's explosive in a good way and in a bad way. So on the one hand, these are the two weeks of the year, which by far have created the most negativity, the most pushback, the most people leaving the church uh, from any other two weeks of the year, easily. On, on the other hand, these are the two weeks of the year that have by far created the most spiritual growth, the most progress, the most change in people's lives spiritually of, of any two weeks of the year. So... Uh, there you have it. If we're going to do it again this year, uh, it's going to be explosive again this year in good ways and in bad ways. Uh, hold on to your hats. The, one last thing before we get into it, which is just that if, if you're newer to the church, 
you're kind of checking the church out. Um, or if you're newer to Christianity especially, you're still kind of checking Christianity out. I do want to say that these messages are not directed toward you. So there's, there's zero expectation that you would give. There's also zero expectation that you would be tracking with any of this or that any of this would make sense to you. Uh, on Sundays, usually we try to kind of aim at a broad audience, you know, believer, non-believer, post-believer, pre-believer, quasi-believer. But these messages, these two weeks, are directed at a very narrow audience, which is those who, who are already believers, who are already committed believers, and are already committed to this church. So if that's not you, we're glad you're here. This is for you normally, but for these two weeks, you're kind of just eavesdropping on a, on a conversation that you're not really a part of. Anyway, uh, that's what we're, we're talking about this week and next. And this morning, I want to talk about giving under three headings. So first, amount. Second, timing. And third, rationale. Amount, timing, and rationale. Amount, how much should I give? Timing, when should I give? And, and rationale, why should I give? Those will be the, the three sections. This morning's sermon will take it one at a time. So first, amount. How much should I give? And fortunately, the the Bible gives us an answer to that question. It gives us an actual number. And the number is 10%. So you've probably heard of this before. If you've ever heard of the tithe or tithing, um, tithe is just the old English word for tenth. A tithe is a tenth. 10% is the number. You say, uh, 10% of what? (laughs) Well, 10% of everything. 10% of the the whole yield. 10% of everything you bring in in the year. We've never done this before. Honestly, it's 10% of your total assets. So a couple things about this number, 10%. First of all, it is the number. It's not like there's debate about it. It's been recognized as the number for thousands of years by Jews, and then after that for thousands of years by Christians, so it's not like some people say, well, maybe it's 5%, or maybe it's 20%. It's the number that comes up over and over again in the Bible in all of these different sorts of contexts. So it is 10%. That's, that's the number. The second thing about this, this 10% number is that it's a rule of thumb, not a law. What do I mean by that? Well, there was a time where it was a law. You know, so in the nation of Israel, they actually legally had to do this. That obviously doesn't apply to us, but what you see in Scripture is that the, the practice of giving 10% existed before uh, the, the law ever came into being. So that was that first Scripture reading you heard this morning. Jacob, there's no law about this, and you see the same thing with Abraham, Jacob's grandfather. There was this practice of doing this. What that means, when I say it's a rule of thumb and not a law, how are you supposed to take that? I don't mean just disregard it. What I mean is, remember that it's there for your benefit. It's there as a convenience to you. Assuming that what you want to do, again, I'm only talking to those of you who are committed Christians and are already committed to this church. So the assumption is, I want to do right by God. I want to do what God expects of me. Well, if that's where you're starting, then knowing what the expectation is, that's just sort of nice. That's just helpful information. It's like when you go to a restaurant and and you know that the the rule of thumb is you're going to tip between 15 and 20%. Well, that's not a law. Nobody's going to penalize you if you don't do that. It can't be enforced, but it's a rule of thumb that you abide by. And the reason you abide by it is because you want to do right by the server. You don't want to offend the server. You don't want to cheat 
the server. And so knowing that there's this expectation of 15 and 20%, that's nice. That's helpful so you can know you're, you're in the right range. Same thing here with God. If you, if you want to do right by God, if you don't want to cheat God, if you don't want to offend God, then knowing that 10% is kind of the, the baseline is helpful. That's the third thing about this number, which is when I say it's a baseline, for Christians it is a baseline. So it's, it's a floor, not a ceiling. What the New Testament makes clear is that 10% is where you start, and then as your faith grows, you grow up from there. So passages in the New Testament talk about giving 50% or even more, um, but, but 10% is where you start. So you grow from there, you don't grow to there. It's not like you start at 1% and you know, grow up to 10%. 10% is where you start. Now, back to this idea of it being a rule of thumb and not a law. What people always want to know is, well, is it, is it 10% before taxes or it's 10% after taxes? Well, it's 10% before taxes. And, and here's why. If, if you are calculating your 10% after you've already paid your taxes, what you're doing essentially there is you're putting the government in line in front of God. And if you're going to do that, if God's going to go second, why, why wouldn't he go third or fourth or fifth? See, what's different about your taxes? Well, is, is it that it's taken out of your paycheck before you ever see the paycheck? That doesn't matter. That's just, again, there's a convenience to you. It's just automatic bill pay. It's still your money. You say, yeah, but I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice if I pay taxes. Well, you don't have a choice about a lot of things. You don't have a choice if you pay your electric bill either. So if God's going to go after taxes, why wouldn't you say, well, I'll subtract taxes and then I'll subtract uh, rent, and I'll subtract utilities, and I'll subtract tuition, and I'll subtract groceries, and then I'll give God 10% of what's left of my disposable income after that. See, the, the logic would be the same. So you got to put them first. It's 10% of everything, 10% of the whole deal. That's the amount. How's everybody liking the sermon so far? This is, this is great, right? I told you, it was going to be fun. It actually gets better from here. Well, it gets better, and then it gets worse at the end again. So enjoy, <laughs> enjoy the middle, because the middle is really great. So the second thing is the timing. Section number two, that's, that's amount. Section number two this morning is the timing. When are you supposed to do this? And built in with the timing is this other principle of kind of the, the big upside of this. So the timing is, uh, you saw this reference to this at the, in the second passage, the beginning of the second passage. There was this reference to the first fruits. And this is something you see repeatedly in scripture. Uh, it, even the first offering that's ever given in the Bible is Abel, and it specifically says God was pleased with the offering because he gave of the, of the firstborn from his flock. So what's this deal with the first fruits? Why does, the, why does that matter? Not being a farmer, I had to look this up. And well, the first fruits, basically what that is, is it's the pre-harvest. It's sort of like you, you get this before you know how big your total harvest is going to be, you get the preview, and God is saying, give that. So the, the way this works at LMCC, the way we've tried to kind of modernize that principle and appropriate that principle, is that's why we do this year-end pledge. So two weeks from today, on December 18th, um, everybody in our church, me and, and Brittany and the other pastors and their spouses and the ministry leaders and their spouses, we're all going to do this very simple thing, which is take a card and write a number down on a card and, and, and turn it in. And that number represents the total amount that we're pledging, promising, committing to give away in 2017. And you say, well, why pledge 
ahead of time. You know, what's the point of that? Why not just give as it comes in? And the answer is, it's back to this principle of the first fruits. Because what, what that enables, when you, when you pledge up front, before you know how big your harvest is going to be, is it brings faith into the equation. And faith activates God's power. Because for a lot of you, for a lot of us, uh, you're in the same situation a farmer is in, which is you don't exactly know how much you're going to make next year. Between bonuses and uh, gigs and contracts, and you know, it's not the economy is not like it used to be, where you work for the same company for 40 years and you got a set salary. It's not like the old days. It's more like the old old days, where you know you can have a different size harvest on any given year. And when you give God first, to God first, before you know how big your harvest is going to be, what, what you're saying to him there is, I trust you. And it's risk. Like any risk, there's a, there's a downside and there's an upside. So the downside is when you make this pledge and you say, I'm going to give this much no matter what. Let's say you were trying to estimate 10% of what you're going to make next year. And let's say you have a worse year than average. Well, then the downside is you, you actually gave more than you wanted to. You know, you have a bad year, you gave more than 10%, and you feel like, man, I really needed that money. Does that happen? Yeah, it, it happens occasionally. It's the exception to the rule. What normally happens, the rule, is that you give, you pledge to give, and, and God comes in and makes it such that you actually come out the same, or maybe even ahead, of where you would have come out if you hadn't given at all. As long as... You, you pledge up front and you activate God's power by your faith. So let me show you a passage that, that talks about this very famous passage from uh, Malachi 3. We'll put this up on the screen. Notice, too, it starts kind of negative and then goes positive. There's a carrot and a stick here. So first there's kind of the guilt trip and the obligation. It says this, Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land. Now, I've had people tell me before, well, that's just a one-off passage. But actually, it's not. If you, if you go through the Bible and look at all the different places it talks about the tithe, almost every single time, there's some version of tithe so that I can bless you. They're always tied together. I've had people say, well, that's just the Old Testament. But actually, it's not. Jesus says, give and it will be given to you. Paul says, if you sow generously, you will reap generously. So it's the law, it's the prophets, it's the gospels, it's the epistles, it's all through the Bible. This principle of if you give, if you put God first with your money, he will bless you financially in response. People hate this. People, educated people, this is back to the, the Selfish Faith series, educated people hate this because it feels so like tele-evangelist, so scam, so, so goofy to them. But it's what the Bible talks about. And what I've found is that once people figure out it works, they don't hate it anymore. They think it's fine once they actually try it and figure out that it works. And we've marched people across this stage for the last seven years, person after person after person, because it's not just in the Bible. It still works this way to, 
today, all these people have said, I gave way more. I pledged to give way more than I ever thought I could. And I saw God provide for me financially in these crazy, unexpected ways that I could have never imagined. I've seen it happen in my own life, and I've seen it happen countless times. And in fact, there's, what's, what's become clear is that there's proportionality. The bolder you are in your faith, the bigger of a risk you take, the higher the chance is that God is going to step up. And so you say, well, are you saying that, that like as a motive, that me giving to God, like that, that one of, it's okay if one of my motives is wanting him to bless me? In response, yes, not, I am saying that, but not only am I saying that, let me put a finer point on it. What I'm saying is that that motive, giving because you want God to bless you in response, that motive is actually higher and better and purer and holier than giving out of the goodness of your heart just because you're so gosh darn generous and you love other people so much and you want to share I think we might have a person or two like that in this church, which, to those of you who are, bless your hearts. Um, But to the rest of us, giving with the selfish motive of wanting God to provide for you in response is actually better. Why? Because it takes faith. Because you, if you, if that's really your motive, if your true motive is, I'm doing this because I want God to bless me in response, what that means is, you actually believe that he can. You actually believe that he can do real stuff in the world in your life, which is what God wants. He wants that. He wants to be involved in your real life. And for the people who say, oh, no, I, I, I don't give thinking about what I get out of it. No, 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 no. I just, I just give just to give. I don't care if God blesses me in response. Well, you know, I, think, I, don't, I don't think that it's you don't care whether God blesses you in response I think you just don't believe. You don't believe that he can. You don't want to bank on that. And so what's parading as altruism is actually a lack of faith. When you look at the Bible, you see these great heroes of the faith were just so unembarrassed about their motives, about why they were giving. You see this in the first passage we looked at. I want to read it to you again, actually. This is Jacob father of the, the Jewish nation, one of the patriarchs, and he says this. It says, Then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God, and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. What is this? It's a vow. It's a contract. It's a pledge. Same exact thing we're going to do in two weeks. He's pledging. He's saying, God, I'm going to give you 10%. Why? Because I want you to be with me. Because I want you to provide for me. Because I want you to protect me and bring me back safely. The reason people give God 10% in the Bible or whatever percent they give him is because they want him on their side. They want him in their business. They want him involved. What you're doing essentially is you're cutting God in. You know, you're making him a partner in your business. Why do you do that? Why do you make anybody a partner in your business? Why would you, so you've got, the, you've got the pie of your business. To give them a slice of the pie, that means your slice gets smaller. Why would you do that? Not because you, you want a buddy to go to lunch with. It's because, yes, your slice of the pie gets smaller, but the pie as a whole gets bigger. 
Can't you see that 70% or 80% or 90% of the pie with God involved is going to be better than 100% of the pie with God not involved? It's self-interest. It's not only about growing the pie, but it's also about cementing and solidifying the relationship, which is what you see here with Jacob. When does this happen? When he makes this vow to God, he says, God, I'm going to give you 10%. What, what, where does this occur in his life? You heard this earlier when they were reading the passage. What, what this is, is it's the most holy, most sacred moment in Jacob's life. This moment where God comes to him in a dream and says, Jacob, I'm going to be your God. And he wakes up and says, surely God is in this place. This is holy ground, sacred ground. What's his response to that holy, sacred moment to bring money into it? That's how he cements it. That's how he solidifies it. See, you almost, you almost get this sense sometimes that people feel like money is dirty. And it's not. It's not dirty. Jacob has this very holy, pure moment, and he wants to bring money into it. Money's not dirty, but what it is, is serious. Money is serious. In fact, nothing is ever really serious at all until money is involved. No relationship is serious until money is involved. If you, if you quote-unquote marry somebody and you have all these prenups such that your finances are kept completely separate, well, you're not really married. If you have this business partner, but, oh, there's no money involved, well, you're not really business partners. It's not serious. And I'd say the same thing to you about your relationship with God. If money is not a big part of your relationship with God, if money is not involved in your relationship with God, then your relationship with God just simply isn't serious. It's, it's a, something you dally with. It's a hobby. It's an interest. It, it's in the same bucket as fantasy football. In fact, it's actually a rung below fantasy football because for fantasy football, money actually is involved. It's a rung below fantasy football until money is part of it. So that's the, the second thing, the timing of it. And when you pledge up front, when you give of the first fruits, when you make that vow and that promise and that commitment, what you're saying to God is, God, I want to do this together. I want you to be a part of this with me. And when you say that to him, he responds. In section number two. Third and lastly this morning, the rationale. The amount, the timing, lastly, the rationale. Why, why should you do this? Now, we've already talked about one reason why, which is to kind of get him involved in your business. But let's say that you, uh, let's say you, you feel like, you know, thanks. Thanks for the offer. Thanks for the 10% partnership thing. Uh, but I'm, I'm actually doing fine. You know, I, I don't, I'm doing fine as it is on my own. Don't really need a partner. So I, I think I'll take a pass. What, what, what do I have to say to you? You know, basically what this is, is there's, there's two different reasons people don't give. The first reason they don't give is out of fear. They, they fear that they won't have enough if they give. And that's what we were talking about in the second section, about God providing for you. But the second reason people don't give is not fear, but pride. And it's this feeling of, why should I? It's my money. I earned it. I earned it all by myself, so why, who's to say that I should share it with, with anybody or give God a portion? I earned it myself. The problem with that is, fine, you earned it yourself, but, but this idea that you did it without help, or you did it on your own, I mean, I, I, don't, I just don't know if that holds up. You know, what, it, what did you use? What did you use to earn this money you have? 
What, what is it? Your, your intellect, your education, your connections, your, your work ethic. Work ethic's my favorite one. What I've noticed is that people with a, a really great work ethic, people who work really, really hard, they have this attitude like, okay, so that guy over there, he's done well because he was born into a wealthy family. So he was born into it. That guy there, he's done well because he was born with a really high IQ. He's super smart, so he's born with it. I'm not the smartest guy, and I wasn't born with all the connections, but I outwork everybody else. I wasn't born into it. I wasn't born with it. I've worked for it. Self-made. And the distinction has just always been lost on me. Because the question is, where did you get this work ethic? Where did you get this ability to outwork everybody else, to work so hard? Same as the other guys. You were born into a certain situation. You were born with certain genetics. You inherited this ability. You say, no, not true. I was lazy till I was 25, and then I decided that I was going to be a really hard worker. <laughs> well, okay. A, that never happens. <laughs> B, even if it did happen, it's still the same thing. We're, at 25, where did you get the desire and the ability to teach yourself to work so hard? So the idea that it's just completely self-made, it just doesn't hold up. A strong work ethic is no different than a high IQ, is no different than good looks, is no different than a likable personality, is no different than being born into a wealthy family. It's all stuff that you didn't do anything to earn or deserve or to give yourself. Yes, you've worked hard for your money, but you've worked hard for your money with the life that has been given to you by God, with the talents that have been given to you by God, and the circumstances you have been placed in by God. And what that means is that your money, like everything else in all creation, doesn't belong to you, it belongs to him. The Bible, the way the Bible talks about this is it uses this word steward. Steward is the old word for manager. And when Jesus talks about this, this is interesting, I would assume, to those of you who work in finance. One of Jesus' favorite illustrations is he specifically talks about managing money, managing other people's capital. And so one of his most famous parables is he says, okay, this is what life is like. Life is like God's this guy with a lot of money, and he gives different chunks of capital to different money managers. And he says, go invest it and see what kind of return you get. Well, if that's true... If it all comes from God, then what that means is that, it, you know, a minute ago we were talking about it like, okay, it's your money and you cut God in on 10% of it. But if it's all from God originally, if all, if all this, this wealth earning potential is from God originally, then that kind of flips it. Because really what it's like is, is God comes to you and he says, okay, I'm going to give you all of this wealth generating potential, all of this capital whether it's your intellect or your work ethic or your circumstances, whatever it is. Here's this to use to invest. And you say, okay, well, what are the terms? And he says, well, whatever, whatever uh, return you get, however much increase you get, why don't you take up to a 90% commission and just love me 10%. Take 70% commission, 80% commission, 90% commission if you want. All I ask is that you leave me 10%. Well, you'd, you'd take that deal. Anybody would take that deal because nobody's ever heard of a 90% commission, and yet that's exactly what God offers us. And it puts this, this idea of withholding it in a different light, too, because 
if you're managing somebody else's money, somebody else's resources, and you take a larger commission than has been agreed upon, well, that's not just failing to do a good deed. That's a serious ethics violation. It's not just a lack of generosity. That's a lack of integrity. And that's what Malachi is saying in that passage. The the first part, the hard-hitting part of the passage is will you rob God? Will you rob God? And, and yet you do in tithes and offerings. It's, it's stealing. It's stealing to not give him just that little bit that he asked for. It's stealing. And of all the people you consider stealing from, I wouldn't think that God would be at the top of that list. So that's the rationale. Even if you're not attracted to this idea of him being part of your business, which if you, if you believe that you could do anything, you would be. But even if you're not attracted to that, the, the bottom line is that at the end of the day, you are a created being. God made you. And you owe him this, just acknowledging that I didn't, I didn't make myself. You say, well, I don't feel right about giving this church 10% of my income. Fine, I'm, I am not saying that this church has a right to 10% of your income. Give it wherever you want. I don't care. I'm saying that God has a right to 10%. Of your income. I'm saying that you flat out do not have a right to more than 90% of what you make, period, because you didn't make yourself. So that's week one. We'll we'll come back at it again for those of you who are still here uh, next week. Let's pray. God, you know how touchy we are when money gets involved, you know how our defenses go up. You know how many excuses we have. I ask that um, I ask that you would speak to us. I ask that that my voice and my words would fade away, and that whatever that was said this morning that was true and of you that that would, by the power of your Spirit, be driven into our hearts. That you would get through to us, and that you'd help us to catch a glimpse of how. If we, if we just allow you into this part of our lives, the whole rest of it opens up. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.